Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. This is a super powerful episode with Kellen Flukiger. Kellen, we had such a connection. I recorded an episode on his podcast and there was zero question in my mind. I knew his story was powerful and I wanted to bring it to the show. So Kellen is an ultimate alchemist for radical transformation and performance. He is a certified master coach and certified extraordinary coach and holds a ton of other certifications but it's not the certifications. It's the life experience that he is going to share in this show in the most beautiful, emotional, vulnerable way possible. He is an award-winning author for exponential personal growth. He is the founder of Your Ultimate Life, which helps people with creating their purpose, prosperity, and joy every day of their lives by serving with their gifts and talents. Kellen has written 18 books, many number one Amazon bestsellers, recorded 82 songs, performed with the three times the number one billboard charting choir in Phoenix, Arizona, performing to sold out audiences in top music halls in America. He is also the host of the popular Your Ultimate Life on LA Talk Radio live every Tuesday the executive producer and host of Creatives Saves the World on both network TV and on demand. He is committed to helping, this is the big one, 50 million people in 2023, which he's already surpassed, to discover, develop, and serve with their gifts and talents to create their own version of your ultimate life. Now that is an incredibly powerful bio but it's the backstory that is just shows you more of what is possible. Helen shares his story of dealing with addiction for decades, depression, a near death experience, then has come to be this position of being a beacon of light to show others what is possible. He shares so many acronyms and so much content and value in this episode. I honestly encourage you to get a pen because I took feverish notes. I've listened to this episode multiple times. There's so much value in it. Everything from his PTAC daily practice, personal truth and commitment, what he is committed to himself to be able to show up in his life and what he does with his clients, his numerous acronyms, knowledge and experience in creating dramatic and sustainable change in your life including vulnerability as his superpower, which it really truly is. And the phrase, which one of my favorites, just because I said so, as a reminder that we are all worthy of creating the change that we desire in our lives. This is such a beautiful, 
powerful, impactful episode, and I'm so grateful to share him with you all. Welcome to the show today, Kellen. How are you? I'm just fine, and I'm delighted to be here, and my voice is a little gravelly because I woke up with a bit of a cold, but that won't affect anything we're doing today. No, it won't. We've had so many little sound mishaps in the background before we started and the cold. And I'm like, we're just, we're going to show that life does not have to be perfect to produce like magic, right? It doesn't have to be perfect to produce a great episode. If it did have to be perfect to produce magic, then I wouldn't have my 18 books written. I wouldn't have all the music done that I've done. I wouldn't be where I am and nothing else. So perfect is a myth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just check your direction and keep moving. Okay. So yes to the gold you've already dropped when we've started. And I mean, your bio, it is just phenomenal. If you can give us a synopsis as to who you are today and what it is that you do that you love so much. Today, mm-hmm. I only have one thing that I do. And it simplifies everything. You know, the one thing is a big thing. My commitment this year, and my year starts October 14th, so six months just passed a few days ago as we record this. Uh, and so in that year, I committed to helping 50 million people to discover and serve with their gifts. I committed to that because I realized from my own mess and then journey that when we are in love and service of others, three interesting things happen. One, we create and live into a life purpose that is active every day. The second thing is we create prosperity, both in terms of money, relationship with people and with the divine, and we are able to choose daily unconditional joy. Mm. And so purpose, prosperity, and joy is the foundation of your ultimate life, which if you're watching the video, you see I've got it on the screen. Your ultimate life is something you, right here, right now, can have today. So I'm helping 50 million people discover their gifts and choose to serve with them. That's all. But that's like, that's all. That's all. It's phenomenal. And I love that you didn't give me like 10 things, right? I love how specific that is. So if your goal is 50 million people, how do you measure that? How do you know? And how do you, how do you track it? So I've been asked that question. I've been on uh, 250 or 300 podcasts in the last 18 months because being guests with beautiful people like you is a way I get to encourage people to find their gifts and to serve with them. And I get asked that a lot. How do you know? How do you track it? How do you measure it? Well, I didn't expect to get 50 million emails or 50 million Facebook messages that said, you helped me today. So I didn't really know how to track it. I didn't know how to reach it. I set the goal because I felt moved by spirit to do it. So I did. And here's what's happened. People show up out of the woodwork. Uh, People who have television networks have contacted me and put me on their network I'm on one right now that has six million households in Orlando and two more towers or or channels, one in L.A. and one in Phoenix, coming pretty quickly. And so there's going to be several million. And then I've been on all these podcasts and they have whatever reach they have. And I have a podcast that you were on uh, that that, uh, I, you know, 760 something episodes. And I have an L.A. Talk Radio weekly live show and I have that television program and I have books and everything else. And so I have 
you know, I can measure YouTube downloads. I can measure uh, podcast downloads. I can measure book sales. I can measure people that I talk to. I don't really fanatically get people's audiences on all the podcasts that I've been on, but anecdotally people will tell me, I have one person right now. I was just on their podcast for the second time about two weeks ago. And I didn't know this. They told me some staggering things. They told me that they are totally, absolutely committed to my mission. And then they told me that they have a reach of 39 million people. Ooh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I didn't know any of that. So when I add all these up as of about a week ago, I realized that the combined audience reach that I've had so far this year is about 65 million. So I'm way past the goal and I wasn't fussed about it, about either turning it into money or counting the numbers or whatever. I just knew that every day I get up, that's all I'm doing. First breath to last breath every day. Not because I don't want to have vacation and play, but because I have decided this is my joy. I love this. And I think the thing that what I can really hear is this idea of living with intention. Like it's such a, I like the words intention versus goals personally, um, because I think intentions, goals, like an end result intention is how you choose to live and show up every day. And you can hear this is a, like, it's a purpose, a mission for you to live this way. It is. And it, I didn't, I wasn't, You know, it didn't automatically happen. I've had these radical changes and lived a whole different life in the past, which we can talk about later. But today, I, I, on purpose, I have the intention. I declare it every day. I meditate into it. I live into it every day because I want to, because I said so. Just because that's who I've chosen to be. And that's it. The only thing that matters, and I'm saying this slow so people will understand that I mean it. The only thing that matters is who you decide to be today. That's it. I don't care what happens outside of you, whether the house falls down or you wake up sick or your kids flip out and do weird stuff or you go bankrupt. All those things happen around you. Mm -hmm. 99% of them you don't control. A few you do and some you can influence. You still get to choose who you're being in the midst of the process and you can decide whether it's chaos or whether it's just stuff and how you're going to be in each of those situations. So choosing who you're being as, as woo woo and weird as that sounds, that's the only thing that matters. And I think that's very much in line with what we talk about in the show, right? Own your choices on your life is literally being in that space of deciding who you want to be every day. So somebody is listening to this and they say, wow, that sounds great, but I have X, Y, Z things going on in my life. How do I choose who I want to be every day? So it's time now to tell a little backstory Mm -hmm. because I lived for 35 years from my 17 when I left home till 52. I lived those 35 years struggling with depression, undiagnosed, untreated, didn't get any help, isolated, horrific. And the 
the consequences of that were that I lived a roller coaster of life. I believed that I was fundamentally flawed. There were things wrong with me. I was raised with a lot of physical and some sexual and other abuse. And that came with me, and I believed, I believed that I was busted. And that my only goal in life was to prove to my mom, principally, but to prove that I was okay. To earn that stamp on my forehead, approved, right? And so that led me to, you know, go after creating what I thought would create that. So I created a lot of career success and big positions, and I had... Uh, I've testified before Congress and had a contract with her late majesty, the queen of England and a bunch of stuff like that. C-suite positions in the U S and Canada made a lot of money and big deal. But I also was a drug addict behind the scenes. I was a horrible mess. I was, I was married and divorced three times because I didn't know how to be a partner. Mm -hmm. I, I would create big success and then I would sabotage it. So I'd ride this roller coaster up and down and up and down and up and down and part of it was because I didn't believe I deserved it. So I'd create this big success. It didn't look like I thought it was going to look. I didn't get the big approved stamp in the forehead. There were other things going on. And so then I would sabotage it. I would literally do things to trash the position, trash the relationships and everything else over and over and over again. So in 2007, <clears throat> the end of that 35 years, I was at the top of one of those roller coaster rides. I was making so much money, my $3,000 a week Cocaine habit didn't matter. And I was single again for the third time. I had four of my 10 children living with me who were teenagers as a single dad. Three were grown up and married and three were with one of my exes. I hate to say that, it's embarrassing, but true. Uh, I had a, a, another invitation, a divine intervention, an opportunity oh. to change. So the story is simple. I came home from work on a Friday night in August of 2007. I was going to go out and party for the weekend, and before I went out to go do that, I felt this urge that I couldn't resist to turn on the television. That doesn't sound like anything, except I picked up the remote, and I looked at it, and went, ooh, I, I didn't know how to turn on the TV, because I wasn't a TV watcher. I had the biggest, coolest stuff installed, but I, so I asked one of my kids, my 16-year-old daughter, she punched some buttons and threw it at me, and you know, left the room, dip weed. And it landed on a program, which today probably isn't on anymore because that's, you know, 15, 16 years ago. A reality TV show called Intervention, which is a I've reality TV show where busted families stage professional interventions with counselors or priests or whoever for busted loved ones. And the protagonist in this episode was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So uh, I watched about 10 minutes and I said, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. <laughs> and I turned it off and I went and did some other stuff. And then I got ready to go outside and I was just absolutely compelled to turn the TV on again. So this time I knew how I turned it on and that program started over. No, I don't have a DVR or a recording device. No, it wasn't on the schedule and no, it can't do that. I understand that, but it did. And it freaked me out I'm like, Ooh, Okay, so I sat down and watched it. It was like half an hour. And it didn't go well. The guy screamed at his family, swore he didn't have a problem, stomped out of the intervention and all the rest. The effect on me was that it freaked me out. So instead of going out to party for the weekend, I might have come back Monday or Tuesday, I, I went to bed. And when I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. It felt out of body. I was in a theater type room, it was dark and I could hear voices and see stuff. And the scenes on the stage 
<clears throat> were scenes from my life. And it was all focused on suffering. The suffering that had been inflicted on me as a kid up through the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as an addict and a lousy partner and all the rest. And it went on for a long time. And the intensity of the experience is beyond my ability to language. After a long time, a voice said, it is enough. Mm-hmm. I woke up and was disoriented because the sun was shining in the windows and the windows faced west. I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours. I got up and thought, okay, I have no idea what to do. I've been invited to change. I see that, but I have no idea how to start, who to talk to, no clue, but I'm done. So I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff I had laying around, and I quit cold turkey that day. That got me sober, but it didn't do anything about how I got there, which was the isolation and the depression and the self-loathing and the nine-yard, all that stuff. So I went back to work on Monday, and in the position I had, I used to get a lot of free stuff because I had high position, and I used to make decisions that literally affected companies to the tune of billions. Mm-hmm. So people gave lots of stuff to Kellen because people wanted to be nice, not bribes, but, you know, nice stuff. (laughs) One of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see a Yo-Yo Ma concert. Yo-Yo Ma, if you know, in the classical world, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in the classical world, that's, ah, he's a cellist and he is electrifying and the best there ever in the universe. Anyway, I thought, oh, wow, there were like thousand dollar tickets. I'm like, it'd be a shame to waste this other ticket. I don't have anybody to take. So... I asked the groups that I managed who likes classical music and some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I looked at her and said, have I ever given you anything before? Cause I gave away stuff all the time. And she said, no. And okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket and we met at the venue. The concert was spectacular. And now you got to know at the date of the concert, I'm now two weeks stone cold sober. Halfway through the show, the voice came back, feeling came over me that I recognized. And the voice said, <clears throat> you need to marry this woman. Oh. And I said, you're insane. You're insane. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other atrocious messes in between. I said, I obviously don't know how to do that. It's not happening. Later that night we were backstage because they were backstage passes and for the reception and everything. Right. And the voice came back and said, comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And I flipped out. I said, I can't do that. I said, first of all, I don't actually know her very well at all. And I don't even know if she has like a relationship, Mm -hmm. A. And B, I don't, I mean, she could call the cops or HR or something, right? This is because harassment. I cannot do this. No. But you don't win those arguments. So (laughs) I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? Crazy. But she didn't call the cops, and uh, she left. And so within about two weeks, she had her own set of experiences. And a couple of weeks later, uh, I resigned and walked away from millions of dollars of contracts. She left her entire career, and we walked off into the sunset together. And four months ago, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Now, let me, before you... Just think that this is impossible. Number one, it is. But number two, it was just an invitation. Mm -hmm. 
none of the work was done. I had to do all the work of learning to be a person, of making a choice to be vulnerable, to, to see myself as I was. And I have asked, oh, I didn't tell you the most fun part. Her name, her name is Joy. Of course it's Joy. <laughs> yeah, you know? Of course it's Joy. And so she made the, you know, she made a commitment. I've asked her a thousand times, what on earth possessed you to walk off into the sunset with a drug addict? I mean, everybody knew. They didn't know, but they knew, right? Yeah. And she said, I just knew to the core of my soul that it was the right thing to do. So he, here's the thing. People hear that and think, well, if I had that happen, I could do anything too. And the answer is no, because you have to do the work. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had no idea what to do, and neither did she. Mm -hmm. And she knew who I was. She knew about the divorces and the mess and... I had one ex that was an, an attorney who was trying to do everything she could to ruin my life and career and succeeding in some measure, et cetera, et cetera. So all of the work that you would imagine has to be done from that kind of place had to be done. Mm -hmm. We had to get to know each other. and We had to make those choices. So your question to start the story was, say it again so the listeners remember. Do you remember what you asked? <laughs> I go, I like it listening to the story. Um, what was my exact question? Do you remember? No, it was no. something like, what did you do to make those choices or whatever? And yeah, it, it was like, what, like some of those, some of those points and what did you do to make the choice in order to like, where were some of the turning points? And you shared that piece, but it was about the intention. Like this is that piece of, you setting the intention and choosing to show up that way every day. I okay. <clears throat> the piece about I think is really important in what you're saying is that download having it, but you still have to do the work. And I think that's still a misconception. We were completely. It, it was as weird as it sounds. Mm -hmm. Like within two weeks, she moved in with me. And we looked at each other and said, this is as weird as can be. And if we're going to do this, this is ride or die. Mm -hmm. Or don't bother. Or don't bother. And so we said that. And that meant we're going to figure this out along the way. So the first thing was the invitation. The second was the bulletproof commitment. And you want to know where to start? Start with a commitment, not a tentative, well, I'd like to do this differently. I didn't know. She didn't know what to do. We didn't know who to talk to or where to go or, or anything. It was like, we're going to do this. You are not that person. You are not. So we're going to figure out how to find the other one. And so, yeah, I had to go start seeing counselors. I didn't even know how to talk to a counselor. I went through half a dozen lying to them, not even knowing what to tell and trying to control the situation and trying to tell everything and then diagnose and treat myself all in the same thing while the counselor was probably sitting over there rolling their eyes. And so, I, you know, that went on and it took two or three years, three or four years for us to even get to know each other, to figure out what was going on, to sort of establish a baseline. And it was simply founded on the, on the commitment and this is where you start. If you want to make a big change in your life, you put your foot down, you slam your fist on the table or whisper quietly into your soul. It is enough. Hmm. 
there's there's something that is just hitting that I would love to just share um for me personally is a sense that like people ask me when did things change for you with you in dealing with teen substance abuse and your kids and there was a day where one was in the hospital and one had overdosed at home 4 days apart and I fell to the floor I remember falling to the floor and all I could hear was this voice that said, stop, stop, this stops now. And I remember thinking like, I don't like, I was clear as a bell. I could hear it and I knew it, but I didn't fully understand what that meant. I didn't, I didn't. In that moment, that was when it was like, your way is not working. We're doing this a different way now. And it was the the clearest sign and sound I've ever heard. But to go from that to where I am now was years of messy work, like years of, of, I don't know how many different counselors I tried, different mentors I tried and things. So I appreciate you sharing that part of it because yes, it can start with a decision, but there's a commitment that is every single day that allows you to show up and like embrace and own that purpose that you're here to do today. So that is 100% right. And I can tell you, each of your listeners, that you have felt those intuitions and you have felt those things and you have felt those voices and nudges and pushes. And for me, it turned out to be a two by four because I had ignored lots of them. But I will never forget, it is enough. But that was just the beginning. Yes. Okay, so then I have to get up, and I was as confused as anything. I walked out of the door that, you know, that day, and my kids were still there, and, you know, the, I'm the same person to them I was the night before, and and so things had to start right then, and the starting was I threw away stuff, and I didn't have any idea what to do. So for the next couple of weeks before part two, I was just sort of living in a vacuum wondering, okay, I, you know, I'm not sure how to do this. What do I do? I knew I had to get away from the whole career because there was too much money and too much stuff floating around in there. And I had to change some stuff. So it is enough didn't just mean the drugs. It meant the whole situation. It is enough. The way you talk to yourself, the way you treat yourself, the way you view your possibilities, the way you've been trying to please somebody else your whole life, mm-hmm. the way you've been doing only what you thought you were supposed to do and never even stopped to ask, who are you? Thank you for sharing all of those pieces. And, you know, I know that people will resonate with that and can feel it. So what does it look like for you today on a daily basis to stay committed to who you are today? I know I've heard some of your story and what you commit to on a daily basis, but I want you to share Because again, this is a piece that like when you set the intention for who you choose to be every single day. Like it's a commitment in into doing that. And you definitely exude and practice that. So I would love it if you would share what that looks like for you. So in the transition period, when I made, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I lived a lot of, with a lot of self-loathing and a lot of negativity. And even in my new universe, when I tried to start being a different person, I thought it had to be all just right. So when I didn't get up on time or I didn't do what I said I was going to do in a day, I would get what I called the eight ball feeling, which is I'm behind the eight ball. I'll never catch up. It'll never work. I'll never this. I'll never that. 
And I lived in that process for a long time, but still committed to the change. Mm -hmm. And that meant a little at a time discovering things that worked. So I probably read a hundred books. I've had many, many coaches. I've spent a lot of money and time in programs, but it was never with the idea that the program was going to fix me. It was with the idea that maybe there's a thing here I can use to fix myself. So much we run around and we think we're going to buy some cool thing and it's going to wave some magic crap in your life and everything's going to be fixed. And the answer is there is no such thing. You are the sovereign. You own your life. All the tools in the universe are out there and you have to find them one at a time. And so I did. And one at a time, one piece at a time, one revelation at a time, things changed. And so today, if you go through those 15 years, today, I have a document. It's called a PTAC, a Personal Truth and Commitment. It is bulletproof. I have it memorized. A watered-down version are those things that we create when we go to events and we write down, I am a wonderful, capable, compassionate, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with that, except you have it memorized. And when was the last time you took that apart one syllable, one word at a time and compared every action and thought against those parameters? Do you actually believe them? How are you behaving in the context of those things? So my document is a set of declarations, not affirmations. Mm -hmm. That for me, affirmations tend to be things we don't believe and we think if we say them often enough, we'll talk ourselves into it. And that's a bunch of crap. A declaration is a declaration. It is a thing that is so. And even if you fall, one of my declarations is, I am that when I fall or fail in any declaration, I get up, fess it up, clean it up and recommit. So I I have a document, personal truth and commitment document that's living and breathing. And it is so powerful that when I recite it every single day, the walls are on fire. I get emotional and it brings me to tears because it's who I am. And the reason is because I said so. The ultimate change from handing your life over to someone else is to realize that the most powerful words in the language are because I said so to yourself. I'm not talking about telling Mm -hmm. other people what to do. So I have a personal truth and commitment document. I meditate. I read. I have an acronym SPEM, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. It's an arbitrary division of life's things and everything fits in it. But I spend time in those things, recreating myself every day. And doing that, it takes me two and a half to three hours. So I don't do anything else until I've done that. And the reason isn't because I have all the time in the world, nothing else to do. It's because I don't want to do anything else until I'm that person. Oh, that is so powerful what you just said. I want this to land for people who are listening because don't set that routine, that morning routine, the things that you think you're supposed to do because somebody told you it's important for you to do. That is, and I'm with you on the affirmations. I I love that you call it declaration because affirmations can just drive me absolutely crazy. You can say it 10,000 million times over and over. If you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. It's like, it just doesn't matter. They're words. And so I love the way that you've said that. 
but that's that piece is, is that really like recreating yourself every day because I said so. And I just think there, there's so much power in our words and what we say. And you can hear, you can hear the conviction in your voice. You can hear our cackling in our voices. You can hear how powerful that is. And that allows you to show up as that version of yourself every day. I, and I mess around with my declarations all the time. I adjust words and I, they're living and breathing. And the statement, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have conversations with joy or with clients. I don't want to send an email. I don't want to respond to anything until I'm that person. Not because someone expects it, not because I need someone's permission or blessing, but because I have chosen that. I said that. And so the, the real deal is it's a contract, a covenant between you and your creator. It's who you have decided you are. And so then, then okay, then be that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just did a video today. I have a video I do every day called Road to 50 Million. And the one I did today was on self-compassion. Those who dare greatly fail greatly. And so if you're busy saying in your mind, if I say that, then I'll not do it and then I'll feel bad. I don't care. Feel bad. Get up, clean it up, recommit. Mm-hmm. Like the stories aren't written about those who quit. No. No, I am forever fascinated by stories. Like that's such a big, it's, and actually even as a kid, the, as a kid, I, I love to watch biographies. I love to watch stories of, you know, sports or athletes or people who have overcome things. I like that backstory. And you're right. I always say that if we could take the time to get to know, like some of the people that we admire the most, and this is for anybody, if, have you taken the time to learn their backstory? Because they didn't, they didn't fall on that hill. Like they, they worked through some messy, messy times in order to get to that time, to get to that position. So you're right. Like this is the piece of it. It's so why do we judge ourselves so much when things go wrong or when things are not going right? And we look at somebody else and we think they don't have those same struggles. So it's not as hard for them. So I have a a thing I use called break the cage and cage is an acronym and it stands for two different sets of things. When we're living in victim mode and living, believing we can't make whatever it is that we're trying to make fix arise above achieve. Then it stands for compare, abandon, grumble, and excuse. And so when we are locked in a cage, a cage is good because it's like, you know, you're behind a set of bars and you can see what you want and you're craning and reaching to get that thing, but you're blocked. And the labels on the bars are fear, procrastination, and self-sabotage. But compare, abandon, grumble, excuse is really simple. We compare ourselves to others. That is made more easy on social media when everybody puts their highlight reels up and you have this imaginary but untrue thought that other people are X, Y, Z. The truth is it doesn't even matter. But the act of comparison is a guaranteed failure. Because if you judge yourself worse than them, then you feel bad. If you judge yourself better than them, then you feel smug. Either of those is counterproductive to growth. So compare is first. Then when you compare, you abandon. 
because you usually come off poorly in the comparison. Then you abandon your goal. That's too hard. I'll never get there. Oh, crap. I'll start tomorrow, next week, whatever. You're free to do that, but that's never going to get you up the hill because, like you said, you never fall up the mountain. No. You don't fall up the mountain. Okay, good. Compare, abandon, and then you grumble. It's not fair. The economy, the government, God, my DNA, the universe, whatever, has conspired against me and ruined my chances of X, Y, Z. Well, again, you're free to live in that belief. But I promise you, from my own experience, living in that belief isn't fun. And it isn't going to get you up the hill. So compare, abandon, grumble, and then excuse. We excuse ourselves for all of that, whatever, and then we live swirling in nothing until we decide to start over again. But unless we change the way we do it, we're going to repeat the cycle. Now, cage spelled the other way is create, achieve, grow, enjoy. And create, achieve, grow, enjoy is simply a personal process. You create what you choose, a little at a time, with the accompanying failures. In the process, you will achieve things, slowly or quickly, and it doesn't really matter. And nobody actually cares how fast you do or don't achieve them, unless you're busy doing the comparison game. And in the process of creating and achieving, then you grow and then enjoy. So it's iterative and you get to have fun. But I love the acronym of breaking the cage with the two ways of thinking about what that means. Yeah, I the soundbite that you just put together is so fantastic. So if you're listening, like you need to replay that two minutes again, because that is just so powerful and really does explain a lot of the slippery slope that can happen with social media right now. Very, very easy to fall into that piece. So as we're doing this and we're talking about this um, and just amplifying how much work you've put in over the last like 15 years, 15 plus years, as we're talking about that, how have you, let me say this, healing, okay? Healing and allowing yourself to heal. What's different in your life now compared to before? Well, there's a million things that are different. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is that I don't need anyone's approval. I was born, and so were you in this world, naked with nothing except the gifts that you developed before and that you were given by the divine. When you die and go back home, all that you're taking with you is what you've made of yourself and nothing else. And so all of that other stuff that you thought was important won't even be there. And so uh, it is to learn a little at a time with effort and failure and, you know, rekindling and everything else that that truth, I want, I yearn, I ache to take something home I'm proud of. I can't stand the thought of trying to make excuses. The thought of that is like, I'm not doing that. I'm just not. And I live believing all my heart that, you know, in the old days, I used to say, well, if there was ever anyone who should have been left at the bottom of the canyon, you know, with my addictions and three divorces and everything else, it, you know, I was a poster child. 
But what I know is I don't care where you are. I don't care what's happened before. I really don't. Maybe more, maybe less than my story. My story is whatever it is. It was perfect for me. Yours is perfect for you. So this is your opportunity right now. The direction matters more than the velocity. Make a commitment as to what direction you're going. And just decide to move in that direction. A millimeter, a centimeter, an inch, a foot. It's okay. Own, own this. This is my life, my levers, my control. I'm doing this. And the pile of stuff that other people think, Byron Katie, I love her stuff. She said, the, what other people think is none of my business. What other people think of me is none of my business. Well, it's true. I can't fix it anyway. And they may or may not think whatever it is you wish you thought they thought of you, even if you do whatever it is you thought you needed to do to make them think cool stuff. Like, whatever. <laughs> That's exhausting, <laughs> right? When you think about it. Like, uh, it's just, it's exhausting to say it, let I alone know. to do it. But that's the cycle in the world a lot of people live in. And I've lived there. I have lived there too. I don't judge that. Like I I really have lived in that cycle and on repeat for a lot of years. So I see it. I recognize it. I have a sense of humor with it because I recognize that I was there. So two more things. I, I died in that cycle. Two weeks before that divine intervention in August of 2007, I had attempted suicide for the second time. Okay. And it was because of that cycle and finally concluding that, um, you know, that was really the only option. And people that get to that point feel that way and they feel it really and truly and no amount of patting on the head or glad handing or anything else is going to change that. It takes some fundamental choice inside. And I think, you know, I, I should have been successful. There's no reason I shouldn't have passed at that time, but the divine had other times. And two weeks later, this other thing happened and it is enough. So, okay. If it is enough, you're not going to let me die. So, okay, we're, we're doing this. And I don't even know what this is yet, but what's not that. You don't have to know what this is for anybody who's listening. You don't have to know what, like, I often say that if, when I was on the floor that day, if the universe would have showed me what I was going to be doing today, seven, eight years later, I guarantee you, I would have self-sabotaged that. I guarantee you. Like I would have, I, I would not felt ready, worthy, able of any of it. So we don't need to see the bigger picture. We just have to make the decision that is like, do I want to stay where I am or what's my next step? Like what's my next one step at a time? What's my next step? What am I doing? The other thing I wanted to mention is even after making the choice and making it a thousand more times and 10,000 more times and com committing over and over and over and over again and changing the way it sounded and changing the words that I used and everything else, even after doing all that 11 years later in 2018, in June, June 9th, 2018, I had contracted five days earlier a fatal illness. And on the morning of two th uh, Saturday, June 9th, 2018, I died in the intensive care unit at the University of Alberta Hospital here in Edmonton. That's a teaching hospital. It's a very prestigious place. And regardless of everything that they could do, I flatlined. So someone 
might have thought, well, if you're doing all this good, why would that have happened to you? Now, that story is probably longer than we have time to tell, mm -hmm. but I wrote about it, and here's how I view that now. I was in a coma for 17 days. Even after I didn't die, I had three conversations with God at the door between life and eternity, and that was 11 years after I had changed my mind and fought like hell to get where I was and going. And you know how I look at that experience? I look at that as the frosting on my cake. That was a blessing beyond anything I can describe. It reaffirmed everything that I knew. The experiences that took place during those days uh, cannot be described in human language, though I did the best I could and wrote them in a book called Meeting God at the Door. And yeah, I was in a coma 17 days. I lost 35 pounds. It was a real fatal illness. I couldn't walk when I got out of it, and I had to start all over again. And that's only been five years. When I left the hospital, I asked him if my lungs would ever come back because it was a terrifying case of necrotizing MRSA in both lungs and in my bloodstream. And they told me, well, two years to never. So I sit before you four and a half coming on five years later, <clears throat> I can walk, I can do stuff fine. No, I don't have the aerobic capacity I used to in the days, but I don't care. It's the most beautiful blessing. And so the idea that when you decide things are going to flow smoothly, I got news for you. You're going to do the work and you're going to do it over again and over again. And the reason you do is because then you know you have taken control of your life. You know that you are doing what you can do mm -hmm. each day just because you said so. And all you have to worry about is the next step, the next right thing. There's so much in there. I thank you for sharing that. I'm grateful that you're here. What an unbelievable story, honestly. That is just like on top of, and to be able to look at it and say, that's the frosting on the cake. Um, there's something that's landing for me as I'm listening to you. And I mean, you know how much I love, like, let's share vulnerable stories. You're doing that in such an incredible way that I know is going to connect with the listeners. There's this piece where so many people who are afraid of vulnerability are like, what will people think of me? What will they say? I can't show up and share. Yet I feel from in the times that I've had conversations with you, that you allowing yourself to be seen and heard and sharing who you are is also a big part of what's also opening up so many different opportunities for you. So how do you view vulnerability and sort of somebody who's listening who is scared to death of being seen, but actually craves being seen because then they have connection. How do you view it and how do you see it? When I wrote the book, Tightrope of Depression, uh, and I've written, I think, 18 now. But when I wrote Tightrope of Depression, my journey from darkness, despair, and death to light, love, and life, after, and it told the story of my childhood and all the way up through that event mm -hmm. on, uh, in August of 2007, after I wrote it, I waited a year to publish it. And the reason I did is because I was so frightened. I was scared of what people were going to think. People did not know. And a lot of the things that I had done in the executive positions that I'd had, high-powered stuff, worth billions, the people were still there. I mean, stuff was still there. Okay, and I thought, you know, am I going to get sued? What, like, what's going to happen? 
And so I finally decided after a year I was going to write it anyway. And that was the beginning of vulnerability. And that was a few years after 2007. It took time to write it and get it all. And then I waited a year to publish it. What I know is, look, there's nothing that you have done that someone else hasn't done or seen. Being vulnerable is the best gift you can give to those you could help. I'm going to say that again. Your being vulnerable is the best gift you could give to those you want to help. And so what I know now, I know that truth carries its own power. Okay, and what I mean by that is if you just tell the truth without hiding, without worrying about what others are going to think, I have a name for that. I call it the Wittot fungus, W-I-T-O-T, and that stands for what I think others think. And I have a joke, and I say, Wittot kills more people than COVID ever will. <laughs> Sorry, that is so good. Can you repeat that again, please? Uh, Wittot, so what I think yeah. others think, W-I-T-O-T, and I say, the Wittot fungus kills more people than COVID ever will. Yep. Because your soul dies when you hide. Who are you helping by hiding? What is the imaginary thing that's going to happen to you? If you choose to share, not, oh, feel sorry for me if I tell you how bad I was. I used to live with the idea that if I died, then I would be one of those people that only the good die young. And people would say, oh, you know, he had so much potential. I craved that because that was the only guaranteed way I knew I could have attention is by being way outside the box and doing all these dumb things. And so I went and got attention that way. Well, it's not true, and it didn't work, and it didn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. Your vulnerability is your superpower. Your willingness to help people see their opportunity based on your own experience. Like You don't have to collect everybody else's. Your personal experience will help somebody, some pile of somebody's. But you won't know and it won't happen until you're prepared to share, to show up, and to be vulnerable. I'm so glad you did that. Thank you so much for sharing that piece on it because you've just given someone else permission. That is probably one of the most common questions I get in my in my DMs, in my messages, is like the peace and vulnerability scares the crap out of people. It scares the absolute crap out of them. So you did such a beautiful job. Scared me until I got over it. And you know what? It's going to scare you until you look under that rock. Yeah. You know, you can dance around the rock all you want. It's not going to change. Mm -mm. No pep talk's going to help. You got to lift up the rock and, and just do this, knowing that you're going to help you're going to, one, it unburdens you, okay? And number two, you actually are able to help people in a way that will never, never happen until you learn to tell the truth. Yeah, that's so good. Um, as you do that, and as you're talking, because you talk so much about gifts, I love the I love the phrase gifts. I believe we all have a very unique set of gifts that we can make a difference with. And when we come through a very difficult time, if we can start to find a way to make that journey about others and use those gifts, we can make a difference. So what's blocking people from using their gifts or maybe what blocked you or whatever? What's your thoughts on that? In the three conversations I had with God, uh, and again, I wish we had time to tell the whole story, but we don't. In the second conversation, four things became really clear to me. 
And it was a very long conversation and an extraordinary experience and mind-blowing. And if you want the details, read Meeting God at the Door. But what I learned were four things. Number one, you. You here, right here, right now, and everybody else, but you are divine, intentional, purposeful creation. Number two, you do and were given lovingly, carefully, and intentionally gifts and talents. Maybe they were things you developed before you came. Maybe they were special gifts on top of that that you were given, but it's true and it was real. Uh, Number three, you have mission and purpose that you not only agreed to, but you were stoked about before you came here. And number four, all the help you need is available from both sides of that door. And I call it a door because that's where I had those conversations, was standing at a doorway. I know that like I breathe. The only question is, what are you going to do with it? And often we look at our trials and struggles and the blood on the floor and everything else as something to be ashamed of or something we did wrong or anything else. The trials and struggles you had are the process of developing your gifts. If you shy away from that, you will not develop like you could. Your adversity, whether it was justified or not, whether you were born with something or whether somebody did something to you, instead of screaming, why me? The the, the real power comes from what do I do with this? How can I polish this and make it shine to be of service to others? That's the powerful question. And so don't lament about whatever happened to you, either at birth or afterwards or because somebody did thus and such. It doesn't matter. We don't administer justice at somebody else's purview. Mm-hmm. Instead, decide what to do with it, because in that adversity is the sandpaper that polishes your heart and your gifts and your power and your truth. And so go do that and live using that polish to serve in ways that only you can do. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, honestly. There's just, there's so much gold in everything that you're saying. Um, Where's the best place for people to connect, follow, find you, learn more? I will make sure everything's in the show notes, but you have a ton of books, like audio. They can listen to you and learn so much from you. So where's the best place to send people? Well, there isn't a best, but I'll give you some. So I have a podcast called Your Ultimate Life. It's on all the regular podcast platforms, and we've got 700 and change episodes. Um, I talk about creating a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy. I have a weekly live LA Talk Radio show, latalkradio.com. It's live on Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And I interview guests there about, about, adding good to the world. Okay. I have 18 books and I have two that I'll, I'm working on this year. You can find me on Amazon, uh, com. I have 85 songs that I've written. Some of them are stories, um, to tell stories from tightrope of depression and down from the gallows. Uh, and you know, the album name of the black has 11 songs to talk about the dark side and the pain and the struggle. And then there's 11 songs on the album promise and power Spotify, put my name in. There's tons of stuff. Uh, I'm blessed with a weird name, Kellen Flukiger. So uh, it's, I can't really hide. If you put me on Google, there's tens of thousands of hits, both from my old executive career. My testimony before Congress is still up there. So 
you know, I have my website, you know, kellenflukiger.com. I, I paid $2 for it. Why? Because nobody wanted it. Like <laughs> kellenflukiger.com. It was simple as anything to get, right? I have a friend, a uh, client who, you know, has a name that's common. And so he had to use his middle initial and so forth to get it. And he's thought about buying the original sometime, but you know, the guy wants 10,000 or some other yeah. high dollar for it. And he didn't want to do it. I paid two bucks for mine. So if you, if you want to find me, you can. And if you say you can't, then you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, I can't, I can't even wait to look you up on Spotify and even see some of the other pieces of the things that you're doing. Um, I've loved this conversation. I I loved being a guest on your podcast. You asked fantastic questions. Um, I know that you sharing your story with us today will continue to open up possibilities and inspire somebody else. And I think that is such a valuable piece because there are way too many humans walking around in stories that they let define them, not living the life that they're meant to live, not stepping into the purpose and their gifts, which then only affects the people that they could be helping and making a difference with. So I love your story and what you've shared. And I just, I think it's so incredibly valuable and I'm grateful that our paths have crossed. Thank you. I want to honor you for the journey that you've taken and the good that you've chosen to do. A podcast is a labor of love and you Mm -hmm. put a lot of effort into that. And so I want to honor you for your choice, your determination and who you are being in the world. Thank you. I am receiving that. I am receiving that. I have one more question for you. It is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? That's hard. No, I know. Because I I swim, I don't start my day every day until I'm in, you know, if you were doing the woo-woo words, it would be enlightenment or connection with the divine as a result of that. I guess um, when I went to talk after I had the near-death or death experience, I, I went and gave some talks at some different conferences and one lady at the, one of them asked me a question afterwards in the Q&A. She said, well, what's the biggest, you know, predictable question. What's the biggest thing that's different for you? Because this happened and I hadn't really thought about questions. So I was thinking about it. And I heard my mouth open and say, I no longer experience fear. And so the greatest thing that I'm most grateful for is at the most foundational, fundamental level, every single way you can interpret that question. The thing I'm most grateful for is that I'm afraid of nothing. I no longer experience fear. Someone asked me one day, how can you possibly say that, blah, blah, blah? And the answer, what on earth or in the universe is there for me to be afraid of? I'm grateful that that is your lesson. And I want that to be something for people who are listening that when you walk through the paths that you walk through and the decades of challenge to come through to this place now, you've had to walk through, I'm assuming, so much fear to get through to a space of certainty that it's like, what else, what what is there for me to be afraid of? Like you walked through some of your worst days. 
We spend so much time making up these stories of what could go wrong and what could happen when actually a lot of us spend so much time in that space. We're already walking through our worst day. We're we're already walking through our worst case scenario and we don't realize it. So we're letting fear stop us to keep us in what is our worst case scenario. It makes no sense. So I love and appreciate how you shared that fear doesn't have the hold on you. And I think that is such a beautiful and powerful space to be able to stand in. Thank you for your work. Thank you for uh, giving me the honor of being able to serve your audience and you today. So grateful, honestly. I know this isn't the last time our paths are going to cross. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Thank you.